Well, during the first part of Mass, I was trying to figure out who left what on the ambo. That was my hat. Uh, I'm in charge. All during Lent, uh, I've written in this in the last couple bulletins, what we're going to do is take the seven last phrases Jesus said on the cross, and we're going to look at them. Um, and there's a couple reasons for this. One, we've tried to do theme homilies all during Lent ever since I got here. Um, and the second is this, and, and pardon the bluntness, crucifixion was obviously one of the most awful ways a human could die, quite literally. Um, and part of it involved, it made breathing exceptionally difficult. Anything anyone said from the cross would have taken a tremendous effort to say. Um, and so every word Jesus said on the cross is obviously important because God said it. And anything God says, we should probably check out. But from the cross in particular, I think we need to pause and take a look. So all during Lent, we're going to do this. And uh, the first weekend, this one, we're going to look at Jesus' statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or why have you abandoned me? It depends on your translation. Now to understand this, what we have to recognize is the way people communicated, Jews particularly, in the time of Jesus. The scriptures weren't written yet, but one thing everybody knew, and I mean this, was every psalm. By the time you were a 13-year-old boy, you were expected to know and be able to speak at a moment's notice any of the psalms, but they didn't have numbers. Uh, nobody put a numbering system in the Bible to the early Middle Ages. So when you wanted to express a complicated or long set of emotions, you could simply quote a psalm, a line from a psalm, and every listener would know what you're saying. It's an amazing thing. A great way to think of it, because I think we tend to think of people back then as ignorant, but they were very smart. A good way to think of it is Americans now, the way our brains work and with the amount of information available to us, our depth, our, 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 the width of our knowledge is eight miles wide and about two inches deep. We know a lot and we know a little about each thing. And that day and age, think of it as a pond about five feet wide and a hundred miles deep. When you look at the New Testament, the fishermen that wrote a lot of it are quoting Plato. And the people reading it they knew. People knew what they knew, and a big part of it was the book of Psalms. When Jesus quotes, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He's quoting what we call Psalm 22. And I'm asking you, as the priest who left his hat on the ambo, uh, to please read that today. Uh, read it together as a family. And not because it's cheery, because uh, it's not at all a cheery psalm. But there are three things Jesus was attempting to communicate. And one of them was so clear to the people at the cross that when you read the gospel account, you may remember when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? They stopped. They had been spitting at him, it said. They had been laughing at him. 
and they'd been mocking him. And then he quoted Psalm 22, and it says that someone said, truly, this was the Son of God. What is it about that psalm? Well, again, when you look it up, and I'm guilting you now, you'll see that the author, 800 years before Jesus, talked about a man being unjustly held before a crowd and mocked and spit on. The author talked about how here I am while they're gambling for my clothes, which is exactly what they were doing when Jesus quoted it. It goes into some detail with a man describing profound and deep suffering, being a victim. And everything that psalmist mentions was happening to Jesus at that moment. It gave the crowd pause. It gave the crowd a moment to think about what was happening. There were two other things communicated in that psalm, and as I said, one of them is the horror of the moment. Jesus was not blissful at this moment. Jesus was being tortured to death and hung naked before a group of people for their entertainment. And the, he is expressing the sorrow and the pain and the horror of that moment. For us who suffer, I pray we think about this. Because God did not have to experience any of this. God is not a slave to himself. God was free to not experience the things Jesus experienced. But he did for a lot of reasons. All of them go back to love. But one specific thing for us to look at is that because you suffer, he suffered. You've been lied about. So has God. You've been betrayed. So has your God. When you needed people and people you thought you could count on, they failed you. Same thing happened to God. Each of us have been subject to crosses of varying size and horror. And because that's the human experience, our God made it his experience so that you would know you're not alone. This kind of love is more intense than any love you or I will ever experience. Someone who volunteers for the worst kind of pain because you have pain. And what you know is our God knows that pain and he redeemed it because that's the other part of Psalm 22. In the midst of this author describing the horrors, all of a sudden he changes gears and says, but I hope, I have hope. Victory is coming. Love will triumph. Truth will win. That this author isn't just good at describing their horror. They're great at describing, this won't define me because I'll win. It's an idea that we seem to forget because of the loudness of our pain that our pain is always temporary. 
Love is eternal. The victory Jesus offers us is eternal. There will be a day you and I will be incapable of remembering the sorrow of this life. There will be a day we will be incapable of remembering the pain that we endure right now. And even in our darkest moments, Jesus is calling us from his darkest moment to say, don't you dare give up on hope. Don't you dare give up on love. Love has won. Love will win. This is what he cried out from the cross. This is what he cried out. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And what he's offering you and me, you and I, is the reality of, yeah, you express your pain. You cry out to the Lord. You do not irritate our Lord when you cry out to him. He is not tired of you. He doesn't know how to be weary of your voice. When you are in pain, you call him and he comes running. And you two can hang on that cross together. And not only that, but as you are there together, he's telling you it's not over. Love has won. Love will win. This might help us make differentiations in our life between the pain that is defining and the pain that is simply a part of every human's life. And that might help us be a bit better to each other as well. Just on Friday, I think, but I'm the guy who left his hat up here and then forgot that I left my hat up here. I was talking to a young man who's considering the priesthood, and I kept saying, do it. The money's amazing. Um, I got him signed up. Don't tell him. Uh, but all kidding aside, uh, he asked me uh, a lot of pointed questions. And at one point, I found myself talking to him about death. I said, one thing they really didn't prepare me for in seminary, which is fine. How do you prepare someone for this? is the fact that about four times a week you're with someone as they take their last breath. Or you're with a family as they deal with the horror and the sorrow of losing a loved one. And I told them, it changes you. Now some priests become very clinical afterward. And I get it. They run to the hospital, bang out the prayers, and get back home. I cry like an idiot still. 26 years later, I make sure I still feel the pain with them for a lot of reasons, but one of them is this. It puts all of our little irritations in context, doesn't it? The thing you're irritated with your spouse about, and trust me, it's their fault. Uh, that thing you're irritated about, will it matter at a grave? Will it matter at the last moment? Are we letting little sufferings take away from great joys in our life? Have we forgotten to treasure each other and forgot the beauty of being loved by a broken person? Have we forgot that? From his cross, Jesus is calling to us today in this Latin season in particular. And he's asking us if we are willing to give him our pain and suffer with him. 
and if we are willing to embrace hope in the midst of that pain. And in it all, will we let him contextualize that pain so that we can separate the unavoidable irritations of life from the real sufferings? Will we let him do that for us? Will we let it happen to us? That's the question. On human willpower, the answer is no. We will mess it up. But we don't have to do it on human willpower. We have the power in us that raised Jesus from the dead. So we pray this Lent to give our sufferings to the Lord, to join our Lord in those sufferings and to embrace hope in them and to know there will be a day where we see love face to face and every tear we've shed over losses, they'll be wiped away. Every drop of blood we've spilled because of human suffering, it'll be cleaned up and we'll shine like the sun. And until then, we will love God and each other with an intensity that we did not know we were capable of. Amen? Amen. Okay.